Welcome to episode 31 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm talking with fellow author Holly Ann Marsh. Holly was born in Australia and has ridden since she was eight years old. She was the typical pony-obsessed child, working endless hours at the local riding school in return for lessons. When she was 13, she got her biggest wish, her first pony Apollo, a 13-hand bomb-proof gray, and boy could he jump. After that, she rode many thoroughbreds, often off the track, participating in pony club, dressage, and jumping. During university, she went on to ride track work at the break of dawn at Royal Randwick Racecourse and strapped the horses at the races. After studying abroad, she bought her first warm blood for show jumping, a 17-hand-plus gray called Spot. When she started getting lessons from a German trainer, she began to enjoy dressage, and the jumping kind of dropped away. Since then, she's been lucky enough to have a few lovely warmbloods and to have trained them up to medium slash advanced level dressage in the UK. She now has a seven-year-old elegant bay Oldenburg called Frida. The idea to write Sweetbriars came to Holly as a teenager, and after having a baby boy in 2017, she fulfilled that dream. She's not sure how, since she hardly slept for two years, but she got there. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi everyone, welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight. I'm Carly Cade and today I'm so excited to have fellow horsebook author Holly Ann Marsh on the show, all the way from Australia. <laughs> Hi Holly. Hi. <laughs> Hi friend down under. <laughs> first question that I always like to, to ask uh, authors, like, how did, how did you fall in love with horses? Oh, well, so for me, like growing up, we had a lot of animals, like dogs and cats and um, cockatoos. And I was always like rescuing animals. So, you know, like dumped cats and kittens and things like that. Um, and then a friend from school had a pony um, near my house. Then when I was about 14, I got my first uh, ex- Oh, I forgot my first horse. She was an ex-race horse, which is probably not the most suitable horse thinking back now. Uh, and then I had a fall off her and I was quite a bad fall. I've got a pin in my ankle actually. So then I didn't ride actually, I think for maybe about one or two years. And then after that, I had a, a few more thoroughbreds, which I trained and I just kind of used to like have them as projects and sometimes, you know, train them and then sell them. Uh, and then after I studied at uni, um, I got my first warm blood actually. Mm. And then I was, he was uh, related to a really good show jumper in Australia, like a, a Grand Prix show jumper, I think it was, it's Grand Prix. I don't remember, I haven't show jumped for a while now. Anyway, and um, yeah, so I was training him for show jumping and I took him to a really good coach. It was a Barita that came over from Germany and we were working on our flying changes for the show jumping. And then I just fell in love with dressage. And ever since I've mainly been doing dressage and I've had more like purpose-bred horses than the thoroughbreds I used to ride growing up. Um, and yeah, you know, I've ridden, like I've trained the one I've got now. She's still quite young and she's doing about advanced medium. 
Uh, and then my horse before I had a Danish warm blood and he was doing about advanced medium in dressage, which I think might be like fourth level, mm. something like that in, um, in the US. Uh, and then with my last horse, we kind of reached a bit of a ceiling uh, and now I've sold him to um, a girl who like she jumps and she does everything with him. And yeah, and I've got my, my mare who I was going to sell, but now she arrived in Australia yesterday. That's exciting. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to bring her over. And I realised too that horses like her in Australia are really hard to find. They're not as plentiful as in Europe um, and very expensive. So, yeah. So, anyway, she arrived yesterday, so it's pretty exciting. Oh, what a gift. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, we were talking about, you know, that you were horseless for a moment while you after you moved to Australia from the UK. Yeah. That is so wonderful to hear. And then, uh, so she's probably in quarantine right now, right? How long do you have to have her in quarantine after bringing her to Australia, that's a pretty long trip for, for a horse. Yeah, it's long, yeah. So she, she's been everywhere now. <laughs> so she was like, for she was born in the UK uh, at a stud called Newton Stud. They breed uh, like performance warm bloods. Mm -hmm. And then um, she went to France, Barcelona with me because I went to Barcelona for work. Then she went back to the UK. Then she went to Germany uh, in the last few weeks for quarantine for two weeks. Then she's flown uh, yeah, over in the last few days. and. She went via, I didn't realize she was stopping at so many places, but she went Dubai, Hong Kong, Sydney, Melbourne, and now she's two weeks quarantine in Melbourne. Oh, it's going to be such a relief and homecoming when, when you get to see, see her again. And yeah, uh, I think it'll be really nice. And I mean, I have had her since she was a foal, so I think, you know, she'll remember me and, and everything. And yeah, I do feel like it was a little bit like fate, you know, because mm. she's such a nice horse. And I think you know, it should have been really easy to sell her because she's just really easy to do everything with. She's young. She's doing, you know, pretty well. So I just feel like it was a bit like just fate, you know, and I felt like my hands were tied a little bit. Um, and I just got to the point where it, it's enough, you know, like she's got to, she's got to be with me. This is ridiculous. So it sounds yeah. like the universe wanted you both together. So yeah, that's happening. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. I'm so happy to hear that. It's it's hard Thank to be you. it's hard to be horseless, especially when you arrive in a in a new place. <laughs> yeah, well I've not been riding for a little while actually now. So I think it'll be really nice because you know us horsey girls are like, I think when you don't have a horse, like yeah, I think it's just it's not I mean everything's okay obviously, but I think when you have a horse you just find that peace and you know that balance and just being outside and yeah, so I think, you know, I'll be really happy when I get back into it. And what is what is your mare's name? I don't know if we, we got the name. Frida. Yeah. So she's by a stallion called First Wilhelm, and you've got to call uh, the mares. She's an Oldenburg uh, with an F. They've got to have the um, start with an F from the sire's name. Mm -hmm. So I called her Frida. I love that. That's great. So yeah. we'll, we'll get to see some, uh, hopefully, pictures of Frida in your show notes when I recap the show. If you, what is common when I'm interviewing people for this podcast is that we, we all love horses and we all love riding. And, you know, I really want to talk to you about writing horse books. You know, like, tell us a little bit about what excites you about writing horse books and why you, why you started writing horse books. And then we can get into talking about your books. Um, well, yeah, I think for me, it was, you know, obviously it's my passion. And so I think when something's your passion, it's easy to, to do, you know. So, and I also love writing. So at school, I used to do a lot of creative writing and was really encouraged um, at high school. So, yeah, I think maybe when I was about 16, I had this little dream of like recreating the Saddle Club. So mm -hmm. I used to love the Saddle Club books. 
And yeah, and I think I even started to write a manuscript back then, but it was a bit rubbish. And then I just kind of forgot about it. But I did, I held on to it actually, I had a printed copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think it was just something for me that I, you know, I just like writing. It's, you know, I find it creative. Um, I also thought, yeah, maybe I could do, you know, something cool like the Subtle Club because I wasn't sure if there was anything around like that. Like there weren't, because there are a lot of horse books around. I don't think I realised how many horse books were around until I started writing them. But I felt like, yeah, there wasn't anything with, you know, three sort of girls that were like fun, you know, one of them was quite quirky, you know, and I thought that maybe I could create books that are a bit addictive, like the Saddle Club, you know, the girls that could really relate to. So I guess that's what I was trying to do, but also to write books that were educational from a horsey perspective, because I felt that some books that I had read, the authors didn't really know that much about horses. So, you know, I have gotten a lot of feedback from uh, readers of my books that, you know, this girl actually really knows horses and, you know, and it's really helpful for our kids, you know, that are learning. And yeah, so I guess that that's, you know, I wanted to do something that was entertaining and, you know, dealt with coming of age issues, uh, but also was educational from a horsey perspective. Absolutely. And I think what's interesting too about your books, uh, you know, is that you write for a, a particular age group. There's a lot of, you know, like, older young adult horse books I feel like and but you write in like a for a particular age group and it's more like elementary grade would you say talk a little bit about the your choice of audience and and for your books yeah I think I started out writing for middle grade Mm -hmm. but now they've probably gone a little bit into younger YA and being honest I think it's a little bit of you know like first time author I don't know maybe a mistake or but also growing, you know, Mm -hmm. like I think I started the first book and it was quite middle grade, but the second and third books have gone a little bit more into deeper, you know, YA issues. But I think there's a bit of crossover. So it's more probably older, middle grade and younger YA. Like I think they still work together. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there is, there is crossover. I think probably if I had to do it again, I probably, I don't know, maybe the first book would have made a little bit more YA, a little bit, I don't know, a little bit more challenging with some of the, you know, coming of age issues because I think the second and third books are. But then at the same time, I think the first character in the first book, you know, like I think it's realistic the way I portrayed her life and that's okay because her life's a little bit easier than the other girls and I don't know that happens in life as well. So, And I think it's suitable. You know, I like that that first book is readable across. I mean, I, I was an adult and I read it and I really enjoyed it, you know. So it, it, it can, I, what I like is that it a younger person can read it but so can an older person and even, you know, a mother and a daughter could read it together. So it's, yeah. it's, very, it's very readable, which I appreciate. Um, yeah, so- I've got a lot of feedback from um, like nostalgic adults that just love it. And actually mm-hmm. even now that like, I think the second and third books are much better than the first book. I think the first book is a good book. I think it's well written and I, I mean, it had some really good editing help. Um, but I think the second and third book, I really, I don't know, I think they're just more meaningful for me. Uh, but in saying that, yeah, like I think nostalgic adults and, you know, mothers reading to their children, they really love the first book because it's more like fairy tale, like, you know, it's really sweet and mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, that is just the experience of an author, you know, going from yeah. the first book to the second book to the third book, and, yeah. you know, as you <laughs> write, I mean, we, we continuously are growing and I, I think a lot of, a lot of the, beauty of the journey of becoming an author is just finally putting that first thing out there you know I think we can all look back at our first books and say oh I wish I'd done this or I wish I had done that but just the fact that you wrote a book 
which you're now extending into a series is a huge accomplishment and you should be very proud of that you know so we're always yeah. on ourselves yeah so yeah hold up your book series and tell us the the books that you have in it so far and um oh yes so um the first one is leaving the city so this is a book about uh, a girl called Kate Sullivan who moves from uh the uh, from London, not the inner city of London, but um, around the uh, edges of London. And she, her parents buy a beautiful farm in Devon. So, yeah, this is her story of how that all goes. And, yeah, this is the book that I think is you know, maybe a little bit more middle grade than the others. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really, you know, I think it's a sweet book and, like, feel good. So, mm-hmm. and I've, you know, I've had really good, uh, like, feedback and reviews on, mm-hmm. on the book. So, yeah. So Sweetbriars, yep, so that was Sweetbriars book one, yeah. Yeah, Uh, this is the second book. So this is Tabby's Big Year. Uh, And so this is about Tabby, one of the other girls. So as I said before, there's three girls in the series. Uh, And this is a girl that becomes Kate's best friend. And, yeah, and it's just kind of journeys her her life and she has a few family issues and um of course you know as they all as all the books do feature horses quite heavily (laughs) uh and then the third book is the most recent book which I released in December and this one's called Finding Violet and this is about the third character Violet she's a bit like quirky and sassy and yeah, I think this is one of my favorite books. I actually managed to write this one in three and a half months. Oh my gosh. We're going to have yeah. to discuss how you did that. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I think, you know, I, I'm really, I'm quite happy with it. So, yeah. That's great. And then, you know, while we're on that topic of writing a book in, in three and a half months, well, in, are you talking, wrote the book, did the cover and got the whole thing out in three and a half months? Yeah. Yeah, and I moved country and I was looking after my little boy full time. (laughs) That's amazing. He was going to kinder in Barcelona in Spain. And then when we um, moved, I was looking after him until the new new year started. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so when he would nap in the afternoons, I would write. And, yeah, and also sometimes I'd wake up at five in the morning and write as Mm -hmm. well. So especially near the end. So the so what I'm hearing is that you just got your hiney in the seat and sat down and used that time that you had and and just wrote and were diligent about yeah. it and stayed focused. That's yeah, it was the main thing I did when I had spare time. So oh, yeah, that's and I, because I wanted to release it for December actually. Mm-hmm. So that was my goal. Uh, the only problem was I had a bit of a hiccup because I uploaded a, um, a manuscript to KDP to um, you know, to do a pre-order. I wanted to try and do a pre-order because I hadn't done it before. Mm-hmm. And because of the time difference here, I got confused with when I had to upload the final manuscript. Mm. And so the manuscript that was not finished went out to the first, the people that bought the pre-orders. Oh, goodness. So that was not great. But actually it wasn't, I don't think the manuscript was that bad, but it wasn't completely finished. But I didn't really get any bad feedback, surprisingly. But I was like freaking out about it. I can imagine. I, I would forget <laughs> about that too. And it, and to be honest, it is confusing with the time zones. Like Holly and I actually had a few hiccups trying to schedule our interview together because we just realized when we're talking about Tuesday for me, it's actually Wednesday for her. And we thought we were talking about the same day. So it took a minute for us to get, get scheduled here. But what, what I think you were saying is that you uploaded your manuscript, but it might not have been the final, like, final, final. Exactly. Like, yeah. So it was yeah, a complete, yeah. complete story, but it just didn't have all the, like, little tiny edits that, 
that it usually exactly. gets before it goes out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, and I think I missed, like I went in to upload the final version and it was like literally one hour that I had missed the cutoff and I'm like, Oh my God, like I really, and I put like all these reminders in my diary and yeah. Anyway, I just got confused, but it, it was okay. In the end, I didn't get any horrible reviews or anything. So Phew, that's a big relief, you know, yeah. but, you know, start, that's the funny thing. There's always a learning curve, particularly if you're independently published, you know, and trying yeah. to, to figure things out. But then, you know, also great tip for, for any authors who are working with KDP, which is based here in the U.S. from, you know, outside the U.S., you know, you got to check your time zones and make sure like double, double check. <laughs> yeah. And they're really strict. If you email them, they won't uh, upload the new version. They, it's technically not possible. They told me. Oh, wow. So yeah, I think I'd recommend sending an alert maybe the day before and not leaving it <laughs> as <laughs> well, fine as I did. Well, thank you for, you know, sharing that, that mistake or happy, you know, the accident, right. That actually didn't turn out badly, but because you just shared that on the show, maybe this will help someone else from, you know, having the same thing happen. So, you know, thank you for yeah. sharing that. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I love, love, love your book covers. And I wanted to talk about, you know, something that you did that was really unique uh, when it comes to cover design of your books. You had a cover star contest, which I think is so, so cool. Um, and so tell us a little bit about the cover of the Sweet Briar series and how you thought of the cover star idea. And then how did you get the word out about that? Oh, well, yeah, I guess I was just trying to think of something that would make readers feel involved. Mm -hmm. And I also needed uh, something for my cover. <laughs> so I thought, <laughs> I know the idea came to me one day and I thought, well, that's great because, you know, I can get readers involved by doing this. It's such a unique thing to be on a book because books are around forever. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, I can also get, you know, an image for the cover. So... And I was quite lucky, actually, because I think a lot of people would think, oh, you know, that's going to go wrong. You won't get the right image that you want. But I think the images turned out pretty good in the, in the end for all three. Uh, so, yeah, what I did in the beginning was I just used Facebook. I went into big uh, Facebook pages that I knew in the UK. So uh, Facebook pages like British Dressage. Uh, there's one called Chit Chat and Tack, which has mm -hmm. like almost 100,000 members, something like that. And there was another one, I can't remember what it's called, maybe Horse Chit Chat. So I went there and just said, oh, look, you know, I'm um, starting this new series and I'm looking for a girl this age. And, yeah, I got um, a huge response. So maybe like 500 people um, at least sent me photos. And so, yeah, I had to, like, pour through them. And uh, in the end, I found one of a girl uh, called Faye, who uh, is a show writer in the mm. UK. Um, and now she's doing dressage, actually. She's a really good writer. She's written the Horse of the Year show and um, the Royal Windsor show, which is the Queen's show. The photographer, Paul Ruffle, he's quite well known in the UK as well. And so he's the one that took the photo. And it's a fae in a meadow with her um, one of her ponies, uh, who's gorgeous, a palomino, and also uh, matched the, the main horse in the first book, Kate's, uh, Kate's pony. So, yeah, and I just fell in love with the photo. And so in the end, I said, you know, great, I'd like this photo for the uh, first book cover. And they agreed. And, uh, yeah, and that was it, really. So, and then I think that was good because then I guess I had a lot of people engaging on social media about, you know, this new book series. So, you know, I went and followed up with some posts saying, oh, you know, this is 
uh, the girl that I've chosen for these reasons. And like I did an interview with her and we published it on the website and on social media. And also I think because her family were quite involved in horses in the UK, they helped to get the word out as well, mm. which was great. So, yeah. And then the second time uh, I actually tried to take it a little bit further where, uh, read, oh, sorry, where girls could win a photo shoot with their pony. So, uh, yeah, so I had, uh, I asked them why they wanted to win, basically. And yeah, I had quite a few uh, entrants for that as well. And I advertised it through the Pony Magazine in the UK. Uh, and in the end, I chose a girl called Sia because her entry was so cute. Um, I can share it with you if I can find it. Oh, that would be lovely. Basically, Sia has a pony called Frankie, who is a halflinger. And I think he's 14 or something like that. And they've had him a long time. They rescued him. And so I said uh, to, to girls, you know, why do you want to uh, enter this competition? And she said, actually, her pony's 18. My pony, Frankie, is 18 years old and he has arthritis. His glory days are over. He's a one in a million pony and I love him so much. Mm. To me, the best way I can think of celebrating him is having him on the cover of a wonderful book. I just thought it was so sweet. Like I had a lot of girls entering, you know, with their really like fancy, you know, kind of warm bloods or whatever. But I just thought it was so sweet. And the photo that they sent to me, like you could really see the connection with them. And so, yeah, so I chose her. And I also, I think because on the first cover I had a girl that, you know, was really well-known and showing and stuff like that. I wanted to have a girl that was a little bit more normal, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so then uh, a girl called Katie Amos, who I know through horses, and she's a photographer in the UK, uh, she went and did the photo shoot and everything went well. The only problem was Frankie's a little bit greedy with the grass and it was spring. So it was difficult to keep his nose out of the grass for the photos. But apart from that, it went quite well. Also cost me a lot more money to do the second one. So then with the third book, because I wanted to release it in three and a half months, I didn't actually do the cover star competition again. So for the third, I got in touch with Paul Ruffle, again, the photographer from the first book. Mm -hmm. And so he had sent me some photos of some other girls who I used on my my website uh, to depict the other characters. Mm -hmm. And I remember that one of them had a grey pony and it was really, really lovely photos. And I thought, oh, maybe I could use some of those photos for the third book because for Violet, she has a grey horse and so that would work. So I got in touch with Paul and also um, the girl who's on the front cover, Tyler, and they were delighted to be on the third the third book so so it was really easy actually again you explain something that happens on the author journey you try different things and you see what works and you look at you know how much time and how much money you have to put into certain things and you can continue or you can decide you know to try it a different way so it, like you tried a lot of different angles so that they're all real people with their ponies and then I imagine there was a little bit of a legal contract involved in using their likenesses on the cover of your books and then also using the work of the photographer who who yeah. had take the picture so you were you know you you have the right to use them all and you you, know, you had to do a little contract with them is that right I did yeah I did a contract just saying that uh you know they agreed to license the photos uh to Sweetbriar's book series like forever <laughs> and you know at some point uh, you know, you know, they can't ask for money or whatever, you know, that we've already, you know, agreed that they're happy to be on the cover. I did in the end, I paid the photographer some money to use uh, 
the third book and obviously the second book I had to pay for the photo shoot. I bring that and I bring that up just for any um, aspiring authors who are listening in, you know, to make sure that you are, you know, doing doing the right thing legally by how you want to use these, you know, retain the rights to use the the photos and then also, you know, make sure that you're covering the photographer and, and the people who are posing. So it's, yeah. le- there's legal aspects to being an author, I guess is what I'm, yeah. you know, just yeah, wanting yeah. to share with people who are listening into this conversation. I was concerned over that actually a little bit. I had a little bit of concern and also though, having worked in marketing before, um, you know, I'd done a lot of photography. So I'd done like a lot of lifestyle photography. So I knew a little bit about licensing photos and how things worked. Uh, I also credited the photographer and the girls and the ponies in each of the books. Absolutely. So you, so you basically, you did it correctly. You know, you talked about, I love this, uh, because you are a horse person, you're writing, you know, great educational books. And I love that you um, have a glossary of terms on the Sweetbriars website, uh, which is, I think, a really great idea when people, and you also have them in the back of your book. So, it's, you know, talk to us a little bit about um, how you thought of that idea well I think the first book I actually used an editor that was not horsey Mm. and I found her through uh Reedsy you know Reedsy Mm -hmm. yeah so they have some really good editors and uh you know good good people on there to get help with publishing your books and she kept on like questioning a lot of stuff and saying people are not going to know what this is blah blah blah. and actually maybe she was slightly horsey I think she had a little bit to do with horses but you know it was not really horsey so I think because of that she kept on asking me all these questions I thought it was a good idea to have a glossary I think a good percentage of the people and through engaging with readers is more the hobby riders maybe they don't have their own horse they're only riding once a week um, once a month even you know but they just adore horses and for them I think that's where it was really helpful and also the fact that as I said before I try and make the books educational as well so, yeah, so that's where it came from, just the fact that the editor was unsure about some things and then I figured that, you know, I think a good percentage of the readers are not that serious, you know, writers. They aspire to be and to learn more, but, yeah, they and it, still learn. So. Yeah, and that's, that's a great idea. I mean, so many, you know, I grew up not when I didn't own a horse reading, like, the Black Stallion books and, you know, you said Saddle Club. And, you know, so, so these your books are the kind of books that kids who – dream of having a horse or maybe just starting riding lessons will definitely pick up you know so I think it's really fabulous that you included the glossary it's a really great great way to educate your readers so good good job thank you I do get um so I see that I'm getting traffic on like through Google so uh, I think it's like indexing you know like in SEO and stuff so yeah it drives a bit of traffic to the website so I think you know the more sort of content things like that that you can put on your website it does help to drive awareness of your book yeah, that, I mean, that's that's great. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, people just doing a general search for glossary of equestrian terms or what have you could stumble across your, your yeah, website exactly. and buy your, buy your book. That's really great. Yeah, maybe. I don't think heaps are doing it, but I, I do see that it drives a little bit of traffic and interest. So that's good. That's great. And then and then you have this other really cool page on your website that that I love. It's called Cel- your Celebrate the Palomino page, um, where readers can send you pictures of, of their Palominos. And yeah, I love Palominos. I grew up with Palominos. So color yeah. horses are always my favorite. But tell us about the page and how readers can submit their their photos and where that idea come from. That's a really cool idea. <laughs> Yeah, I think in the beginning, um, you know, again, for being a marketer before, I had all these ideas and, you know, bringing some ideas that I had from my career, you know, uh, into the book. So 
again, it was about trying to just get readers involved and, you know, drive awareness of the books and engage with readers. So I think that I did some posts just on social media and got loads of people sending me the Palomino photos and coming to the website. So, you know, learning about the books, which was good. Mm -hmm. Um, And I definitely welcome people if they'd like to have their Palomino on there. Um, All they need to do is email me the photo with the name of uh, whoever the person is in the photo and the name of the horse. Uh, And the email address is hello at sweetbriarsfarm.com. Which kind of leads me, I wanted to ask you this question. I I know this because we we talked before um, early on in your author career, like we connected and you, you told me what you used to do in the marketing world and I thought maybe since you know you mentioned a couple of times that you used to you know work in marketing what did you used to you know what did you do in your life before being an author <laughs> in the marketing oh, well world? so yeah I, um after uni I studied like business and marketing and then I uh started working for PNG. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably everybody knows them like in a graduate role and then since then, I've worked for just lots of big companies, really. So I worked for Pernod Ricard, which is a, they sell like wine, champagne. Um, I worked for General Mills, a uh, big American company. I've worked for Orange, uh, the telco across Europe. Uh, that was an innovation, launching new products. I uh, worked for Red Bull in London as well. I set up the European Partnerships Department and also launched a mobile product for them. And then my last role was working for Vistaprint, another American company. And I was managing their second biggest business uh, globally. So, yeah. Which is, which <laughs> is really, to... really cool. And I think, well, I think a lot of authors can actually identify with it, particularly the, the Vistaprint uh, position because a lot of us yeah. order from them, order banners or business yeah. or, or what have you from Vistaprint. And, and I think it's a really cool testament to how, you know, even though you're in a like a corporate position it often is the learning um basis you you need in order to establish your author career where you learn all those marketing things I feel like I'm stronger as an author and a representation of my own brand because I represented other people's brands but definitely I mean the ideas and stuff you know that I had um and that background like helps so much you have a you have a big background you have a, a lot of skills in your toolbox if you could go back and tell your fresh out of the gate author self with the first book like what would you go back and tell tell yourself if you could having had that experience um I don't know if I would undo some of the things that I've done I think I needed to try that and also I think as much as like maybe when I did the pony magazine advertising so I did it a few times um maybe I didn't get like direct um sales but I think over time it builds you know, like, because with marketing, you know, people need to see the ads over a series of times before they act on it. Mm-hmm. So I think it did help. And also, actually, I built a relationship with the Pony magazine. And so they that gave me a lot of, um, like, editorial. Mm. So, like, they would include me in, you know, like, best books, features and things like that for free. Mm. So that was really nice. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, after I did the ads, I was expecting, you know, this really, like, great sales um, period which I didn't really get I think like with the third book I didn't really do anything like that like I've Pony Magazine approached me about doing advertising and I said no this mm-hmm. time uh, but you know I've put it like I've, I've done author swaps so you know like featuring asking, asking other authors to feature it on their website mm-hmm. um, oh, and I did a giveaway where I gave away like the first three books uh, well, there's only three books, but I gave away three books in the series, you know, things like that, that were a little mm-hmm. bit low cost. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, I thought that that 
that works just as well, really. So, yeah. And I love your answer that you wouldn't take anything back because it was all learning experience. I feel the same way, you know, it's like, because for each person in each book and each genre and everything we're doing, it's different what's going to work. So you almost have to have that trial period where you figure out like, where do I want to put things? But I, I'm with you. I've kind of found that uh, the less things that, the things that don't cost exactly as much have just as big of an impact than, than if you went out and spent a ton of money on like Facebook ads or something. Because I think, yeah. I think you, what you're talking about is like you've been building your brand around the Sweet Buyer series and people are starting to know you and know the books and recognize you yep. and, and that it kind of just grows and um, that's more organic and you don't really have to pay for that, you know, as long as you're putting yourself out there. So I think that's great advice. Yeah, I also had Horse and Hound um, publish or feature the books twice now. So that was really cool because Horse and Hound is huge in the UK. It's bigger mm-hmm. than the Penny magazine. And they called it a must read for horsey children. Oh, so that, that was really awesome, you know, to be able to use that, like create or to, you know, because they did an online feature for two books, so mm-hmm. the first two books. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was able to then use that on social media. And I think that makes you really credible. Oh, it does. I mean, earned media is, you know, media you don't pay for where actually a publication covers your work and then you get get like a featured in a magazine and then, you know, that's like really credible. So congratulations. (laughs) The new thing is scary is, I mean, they really did review the book. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you you send it to them, you're like, oh, I hope they like it. But they did both books. So that was great. Yeah, well, congratulations. I mean, getting coverage like that is is really beautiful and priceless, and it's such an honor as an, as an author. Mm-hmm. So that was really nice. That's awesome. Now, did you pitch pitch them, or did they they find you? How did that work? I pitched them. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. for for authors that may not know about, you know, this is a whole conversation in and of itself. But can you summarize, you know, what it means to pitch? And we're talking PR here. So what it what it looks like to pitch a magazine like can you talk about like I think it just comes down to what you're trying to uh, sell and why it's differentiated Mm -hmm. so like when I approached them I said that uh, the books uh, had you know three girls that it was a little bit different in the market at the moment and also about the cover the cover star they really Mm -hmm. liked that Mm -hmm. um I think what else are the reviews so I'd gotten really good reviews and the first for the first book I really pushed hard for reviews, like Mm -hmm. really. And um, I was getting great reviews. So I think actually that was the biggest thing. So I was showing my reviews. I did a, uh, I sent the book to read, only the first one to read as favourite. I got a really good review from them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, yeah, I think I just, you know, gave it like a snippet um, or the blurb of the first book and how, you know, I thought it was a little bit different because there's three girls and at this present time, you know, a lot of the horse, similar horse books focused on one girl and, I think it's great because young girls can then relate to, you know, there's three different girls, so they can, you know, decide which girl that they relate to or whatever. Um, and yeah, and so so that was it. And yeah, as I said, the cover star, the cover star was, you know, interesting. Maybe having Faye because she was a well-known writer. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I what I really heard and what I like that in what you said is that you were very thoughtful about how you pitched and approached the the media publication, but you you told them about what unique value. And, and something interesting that your book series was offering, you know, the, the unique angle of the three women or the three girls, you know, so, yeah. so they had something to choose from. But then also the interesting, unique angle of having done the cover star contest, which kind of gives them a hook to dig into a little bit more to be able to tell a story 
about your books, which is yeah. really smart. Yeah, exactly. That's that's really, really great. And then I, I love this too about, about your work as an author. You support the RDA by donating a percentage of each book sale to charity. Um, how did you get, can you tell us a little bit more about, about the organization and how you got involved with them? And then, you know, why you decided to donate a proceed, part of the proceeds from the book? Well, again, I think maybe having worked for big brands, this is something that we do a lot, you know, that will like, support various like, charities or causes. And I think, though, the idea related to Sweetbriars came to me was a friend of mine has a little girl that's autistic mm. and she's quite highly autistic and she doesn't communicate very much. And one day like, I saw her riding their pony and just her face was completely lit up. She had, you know, a huge smile on her face. It was the first time I've really seen her like that happy. And it just it was just like, wow, like, it was so so nice and then um also a friend of mine was doing some volunteer work for the rda so i was familiar with what they did and so basically i just reached out to them and again gave them the, the blurb and you know why the book series is unique etc and also i think by that time i'd gotten a little bit of um uh i'd been featured by horse and hound and stuff so it kind of you know helped again to have credibility and i mean generally they're not going to knock back support Oh, I think I think it's lovely, and and I think you, what you're speaking to is a testament to the power, the healing power of horses, you know. And I think it's really yeah. special to support to support that kind of healing. What I think I think what you're doing in writing a series is really special because I think there's a lot of of um, you know power behind writing a series because every book you put out is one more for those um, fans that are already reading your books. But the, the more books you put out, the more power a series has and the more profit that you are able to make because people start going down the line and reading book after book after book. So that was... Yeah, and I think Amazon supports you more. I, I also found when I got the third book out in my series, it elevated all of the books in the series because I think people didn't want to invest. And I'm one of these readers. Like I want the whole series to be out before I like engage because I like to binge read. And I, I yeah. think I found that, that once three books are out, people were buying them all you know and so um that's the power of a series which what you're doing so that's great yeah and I think you have a lot more just like you know if you go into Amazon and you see three books you just have a lot more like visually a lot more presence and you stand out more yeah I, well you know what's really interesting is I, I read this really cool book by um Elizabeth Gilbert she she wrote she's famous for writing Eat Pray Love and it's called Big Magic oh, yeah, she's one of my favorite authors. oh have you read <laughs> have you read Big Magic it's fa fabulous it talks no. about the Oh, oh, I highly recommend it. Um, I'll send you the okay. link after the show. But Great. she talks about her experience as a as a creative. It's actually um, her writing to other creatives from from a perspective that she has that um, you can't ever. She says you can't ever rely on your muse to be your sole income maker because it actually deflates the power of your muse, which is the source of your creativity. She said that. Um, even after Eat, Pray, Love hit such a successful place, like she still had her job because she never wanted to put that kind of pressure on her creative yeah. self. It's just really, it's, it's really interesting. interesting. Super interesting. It's really, I think you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Actually, like, I think, like you said, in the beginning, you expect millions of people are going to buy the book and it's so disappointing because mm. you put so much time and you know like effort and like love into this thing and it's so hard like really hard but then I think it's a journey like the way you think about things and then 
you know, you kind of realise, but actually this is something I really wanted to do. And like, wow, like, again, like what you said before, I wrote a book and I did this and people are reading it and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've been able to be creative and, you know, it's amazing. And I think too, when you read other, like you start to engage with other authors and I realise, actually, I think I've done pretty well, you know, Mm -hmm. like in the context of things. Mm -hmm. And so it can always be better. It can always be worse, but as long as you're enjoying it and, you know, that's, that's the main thing. Yeah. And, and she talks a lot about that in the book is to enjoy, enjoy the journey of creating because, you know, yeah. that's, what, that's what is feeding your soul. And it, it's really interesting. And, you know, and then another thing too about, well, and I was going to ask you this question. I know that you're independently published and I think there's a lot of power in that because you retain, you don't have to sign any contracts. Your contract is with your yourself, right? So you retain yeah. the intellectual property that is your entire series. So, you know, maybe the pay, you know the paperback version isn't you know bringing the landslide but you have so many opportunities to create um, additional income streams for revenue because you own that intellectual property so you can go ebook you can go paperback you can go hardcover you can go audiobook you can pitch tv and media and movies and you know see what happens so you, so you have the power you didn't sign any of those rights away to a traditional publisher to take that one book you wrote and have all these different revenue streams from that one, one book. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity to continue to grow it as you grow your brand, which is cool. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Then because we did talk a little bit about independent publishing, why did you decide to go the independent route with your, with your series? Uh, I think for me, like I read a lot of stories about how independent uh, authors were doing quite well and, you know, the potential, especially with eBooks. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that, you know, being probably in the past, I've been a little bit entrepreneurial, it kind of it suited me, you know, I could launch or release something, you know, when I wanted to do on my own terms and control it, like you were saying before. The likely, the person reading your book is not the one with the credit card linked to the Amazon account that's able to buy your book. So it's probably a lot of encouraging mom and dad to buy the books, right? So I can see how that is, that's a little bit of a, a hurdle to get over um, because of because of who you write for. Um, so I'm wondering, how do you, how do you reach your readers? Like how, how are you getting the word out about, about your books? You've talked about, you know, the cover star contest and some of the other things you're doing, but like what, what is your main way of reaching your, your readers, your demographic? As I mentioned before, initially, I thought Penny Magazine was like really um, great uh type of media a magazine mm-hmm. to reach readers because their readers or I mean exactly who should be reading my book you know mm-hmm. they're like nine to like 14 um and pony mad and you know they love reading they're reading the pony magazine mm-hmm. so yeah initially like I thought that that would be a good way to reach readers and then they can tell you know their parents that they they want the book um so that was my thinking there uh, I think a lot of the other stuff that I've done has probably more targeted the parents. So, and I think that the message for trying to target the parents was often, you know, about the reviews and how, you know, I had actually, for the first book, I had a lot of reviews just from kids that their parents had gotten. So mm. I shared those, which are really sweet. Um, and so, yeah, I think I was just trying to target the parents that way. Uh, and also it was something new and different because I think I mentioned Stacey Grigg before. She's been around a long time. She has so many books. Mm-hmm. I think that they like to try something that's new and different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 
probably the other message that I shared with parents was the educational factor about horses. Mm. And yeah. So, um, and that is that mainly through like Facebook and Facebook groups and, and things like that, like you mentioned earlier, mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd share things like reviews, um, like, you know, take a screenshot or whatever of mm. reviews and share those on Facebook. I also mm. did quite a bit of Facebook advertising mm-hmm. in the beginning. And I mean, I've not got a huge following, but I think I've got like close to a thousand followers. That's, that's good. Followers. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's okay. Um, so yeah, I think the problem is because I used to work for such big brands and stuff, you kind of remember what you used to have, you know? Mm. So, but no, I know it, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think there, like on the Facebook, my Facebook page or Sweetbriar's Facebook page, I would share, regularly share mm-hmm. a lot of this information and just, you know, fun sort of horse stuff like you do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and what else? Yeah, so, and then also I think that I also came to the conclusion that uh, it's great to do advertising, um, you know, really to readers. Because I felt like, I mean, I guess the painting magazine I was advertising to, you know, girls like to read magazines, but maybe, you know, a magazine's a bit different to a book. So that's when I started to do things like, you know, ebooksy, like give away free giveaways, like mm. AMS, Amazon advertising, mm-hmm. because, you know, they're there in the moment, mm-hmm. um, you know, on Amazon when they see the ads. So all they have to do is click through to buy very easily. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, that way I'm really targeting people that's shopping and reading on Amazon. Um, yeah, I think that that's it really. So, yeah, the main thing I did was just print, so magazines. Um, also got some, yeah, free p- PR from like Horse and Hound and also from Pony Magazine, just social media and just reviews, I guess. Reviews are so important, you know. So um, and, and you if you can get, you know, horse bloggers and stuff like you to do, you know, reviews, that's really, really awesome as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's really great. And, and you you – um have a lot of really good reviews and and it's funny it's they say for every hundred people that read a book only one person will leave a review and I know that you generated tons of reviews for for your first book by just doing outreach like what it what do you think is the best way to reach out and and get book reviews authentic book reviews right you know without you know there's some there used to be these scams where people could go out and pay for reviews. I don't think you can do that anymore, but like, how do you, how do you ask a reader to review your book? Um, Well, I went on to Goodreads and I started networking with a lot of people that liked Mm. horse books and like, you know, making friends with them and like commenting on horse books that I liked or, you know, that I saw that they were reading and just trying to build up a bit of a relationship that way. Uh, and so that's all in for the first book. That's how I got a lot of my reviews because I was you know, just chatting to them. Hey, I've got this new book. Would you be interested to review it for free? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, or a lot of the people to on Goodreads have Kingdom Unlimited. So they'll go and download it, which is great. Oh, that's so you know, they, Yeah, yeah, that happens a lot. So, yeah, so it was quite, I mean, it was a lot of reaching out to people. I was obsessed with it in the beginning. Uh, and then the second and third, I just took a lot of reviewers from the first book to the second and the third. Mm-hmm. And they were really willing. And I think because they enjoyed the first book. So mm-hmm. that was great. But the second and the third book, I don't have as many reviews. And I didn't feel like I had the energy to, you know, go out and email like thousands of people about it. But maybe now I finished the third book, I should start to do that a little bit more because I'd like to get some more reviews. I also um, updated like the back matter in the book to try and make the call to action a little bit more obvious for the reviews. So like mm-hmm. at the end of the book, I removed the end. 
So I just finished the book because I think what happens is people go to the end and if they're in um, like reading an ebook, they just come out. So they're not going to the next page to see, please leave a review. So I took out the end. So then hopefully they'll at least go to the next page where it says, you know, please leave a review. You know, authors like really need reviews. And, well, and I, I, I like a few things you said. You said, you know, because you were building relationships with, with people around the first book and you were offering them and you went to the place where they were, which is Goodreads, where people are really, really, really readers. Um, yeah. So you were going to your right market, but then you were building relationship before making the ask, which I think is really important. That's a very important public relations tip. You know, just don't blast people with review my book, build a little bit of a rapport with them first. Uh, yeah. And then you also, but you also mentioned too that you, that you don't have as many reviews for the second and third book, which is normal with series. People that review the first one generally don't, you know, think they need to go on and review the second and the third. Yeah. But what you did establish is you established a group of people from the first round of outreach that you did that then you had a network of people to reach out to again when your second book came around. So you built a community yeah. around your book that you had access to with each new book that comes out, which is... Yeah, and it was so much easier. I mean, they even contacted me asking, when's the next book out? Oh, so that's great feedback. Really, really <laughs> nice. Yeah. And even like I did a few posts just like for the third book when I released it and people were like, please keep on writing them. And it was so nice. And I'm like, well, well I'll take a little break for now, but... That's lovely. That's why we write. Yeah. You, you know, once once, yeah. it, once it comes out of our brains and on the paper and it's out in the world, it's, it is then for the, then for our readers. And hearing something like yeah. that is just so awesome. What are you curious about? Like where you look, where you think you're heading in the future? Um, well, I think from a practical perspective, is I'd probably like to become a little bit more uh, independent. <laughs> um, so I'm obviously independently published, but things like uh, the covers, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on what I'm writing, but I think for Sweetbriars, because literally I, I'm using the same um, creative and artwork for every book and it's just a photo. So mm-hmm. I'd love to learn how to do that myself, you know, in mm-hmm. Photoshop, because, um, you yeah, that would save me a bit of money. And also you can just do it when you want yourself then. So I was thinking about doing a Photoshop course and um, I was also interested in maybe getting, uh, well, I, I'm not getting a dictaphone, but maybe downloading some dictaphone software. I did try with um, the dictaphone software on my Mac, but it's not very good. But um, I saw an article the other day from the KDP guy and he was recommending some uh, dictaphone apps and software that sound really good. So they've got mm-hmm. like high accuracy. So speaking about trying that because um, especially like with my first and second book, I was sitting for so long reading that I got a slip disc in my back. Oh, goodness. And, yeah, I'm okay now, but I think it was just from sitting and I was sitting on the sofa and, yeah, so I think, um, and that's probably one of my bugbears about writing, just for sitting for so long. So mm-hmm. I think that maybe I'm going to try this dictaphone thing and I see like how it. that works. It's just, yeah, as long as the accuracy is there and, you know, see, see how that goes. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of books, uh, I think I'm about to start an outline for a book um, based in Catalonia in Spain, um, and I want it to be a young adult, but it's about the political crisis there, and mm-hmm. so I want to do it from a point of view of one of the children whose parents have been put in jail for organising a referendum. And so it's something that was really dear to my heart because I just thought it was so unfair and so undemocratic that these people organise a referendum and then they're, they're thrown in jail even though like the majority of the population there want um, a referendum. So, mm-hmm. but the Spanish government doesn't want to give it to them. Mm-hmm. So I thought like, it's quite a, um, what's the word? Like a 
divisive um, subject. And like when you're in Spain, like people can get really angry about this. But I thought maybe if I could write it from a young person's perspective in a really honest, innocent way, and maybe like have one being Catalan and then the other being Spanish, you know, and their friends, and they kind of show their confronting point of views. I thought it could be really powerful and also something that's innovative and something that also could be um, topical because they have uh, protests there, like with a million people. They had riots when they put the people in jail in the last mm. six months, huge riots all over the news, all over the world. And so I thought I could document that in this book and I know a lot about it. So, yeah, so something that's just a little bit close to my heart. So I think I'd like to give that a go and then... And then maybe there were sweetbriars after that. <laughs> oh, I I love it, Holly. And I, I hear yeah. I hear how you feel about it. Like I can I can hear it when you're talking about it and like how emotional it is making you. And I think absolutely follow that. That is your muse like dangling the carrot, telling you to to come along and get behind the the computer and tell that story. And I and I yeah. I love it. And I think you should. And I think that it could be very, very powerful. And I think you could make a you know, difference there with your writing and it, that's what's calling you forward so I I have yeah. five go for that one <laughs> thank you thank you I have so enjoyed having you on the show today I know it took us a minute to connect but finally we're we're here and we got to have our interview and and you've always been lovely to talk to I've really enjoyed working with you we started our author relationship with each other and authors unite a long time ago and we've followed each other through a few books tell people where they can find you and your books and of course I'll link to these places in the show notes too so people can get to you very easily but share where where people can find you and your books Uh, so the website is sweetbriarsfarm.com and then there's also a Facebook page which is just Sweetbriars Farm I get books, sorry, Sweet Buys Farm book series. Sorry, Instagram and Twitter is Holly Ann Marsh. Um, I would love if people wanted to connect and or follow me and I'll follow you back. I do, I do go into Twitter and Instagram probably a couple of times a week, but mm-hmm. Facebook is probably the main um, media or social media that I use for uh, Sweetbriars. Uh, and then would you spell Sweetbriars for people too? Just, it's one word and, and just spell Sweetbriars because there's a couple different ways to spell briar. So I want to make sure people get that right. So it's, uh, yeah, S-W-E-E-T-B-R-I-A-R-S. Well, thank you so much, Carly. I really appreciate it. You were one of the first authors to help me. Um, I think we had a call and I feel so like naive then, but you were just so like friendly and willing to help. It, it means so much to me when authors unite and I'm so glad that you felt comfortable enough to reach out and um, ask me questions. And, you know, I, I love it when we're doing that together and supporting the community. So, and look at you now you're here three books deep and you're, you continue going and we're, we're sharing your story with, with listeners of the podcast. It's so cool. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I hope it's helpful. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.